Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Which brings us to the second thing tonight. Outside, inside, and the cloud in the house of God. Well, inside, we see in verses 7 through 10, in this phrase where they brought the Ark of the Covenant, it says in verse 7, Then the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. Now, we know in the tabernacle and then the temple, when God told them how to build the tabernacle 500 years before, and now the temple with Solomon... That this, this house of God had a, a small area in the back of one-third of the, the tent, if you will. And the back third was called the most holy of holies or the holy place. Then the two-thirds here was the, the holy entrance area. So the, most, the holy of holies and the holy place, there's a distinction. And here was the showbread and the altar of incense and the lamp and these things that the priest serviced throughout the week in serving the Lord. And then the inner court, that only once a year, that was the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And if you recall, only one day a year would a human being go in there. It was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. First it was Aaron, and then it was the descendants of Aaron. And what would happen is they'd be out there at that bronze altar, and there'd be a sacrifice. And they'd go in with the blood of that sacrifice, and the high priest would go in there once a year, and he'd sprinkle the blood in the holiest of holy place upon the altar. The Ark of the Covenant. He'd sprinkle it there. Then he'd go back out, and then he'd get more blood. And he'd go in a second time, and he'd offer it for the people, for himself and the people. So he recognized his own sinful nature, and then he recognized the sinful nature of the people. He would confess the sins of the people, and there was the two goats, because the one goat was sacrificed. Then the other goat was a scapegoat, where he would pray, if you will, over the scapegoat, and then they'd send the scapegoat into the wilderness. So one goat would die with the blood, and the other goat would be released where you could never see it again, which is very symbolic of what it says in the Psalms, so far as the east is from the west, so far has it removed our sins from us. When they released that scapegoat in the Judean wilderness, you weren't supposed to go looking for it. When you receive forgiveness for Christ, you're not supposed to go looking for You're not supposed to step up today on June 10th and look for what was forgiven for, you know, on June 3rd. It's, it's, that's why Christ died. The devil and your flesh will take you backwards, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit will always take you forward. And that's why he gave us the symbolism of the scapegoat. But, you know, the blood on the altar was out there, the bronze altar, this innumerable offerings. But on the Yom Kippur day, the blood would come in for one day of the year for the atonement for the high priest and for the people, which, of course, is why we're told Jesus is not a high priest according to the priesthood of Leviticus, where they had to make offerings for their own sins. He's in the order of Melchizedek. He's, he has no beginning or no ending. And his is his superior priesthood. So when we come to Jesus through faith as our high priest, he's not like a son of Aaron who's going to live and die and sprinkle blood for his own sins once a year. No, he's the son of God who died once, not for his sins, but for our sins. And we're told in Hebrews, he ever lives and intercedes for us in our journey. He's our great high priest. 
Jesus didn't enter the Holy of Holies. He, entered, he came from the Holy of Holies and he returned to the Holy of Holies, the one in heaven. Because we're told in Hebrews that the design of the Holy, Holy of Holies and the Holy Place is a model from heaven. We're told in Hebrews that when God gave the instruction for the tabernacle and then followed by Solomon for the temple, that it's a model, a pattern of things above. This isn't some conjection of men like the Philistines building a temple for Dagon. Some ideas of men. People make gods in their own image. So you have an angry God, a lustful God, a bitter God, all those things. But God is God. He is who he is apart from what anyone thinks of him. I am that I am, he said to Moses. He is self-contained as himself. He is who he is. Let God be true, every man a liar. And when he gave them a design for the holy place and the holiest of holies, it were told it's a pattern of heaven. It's, it's something revealing of heaven. And now contrast this holy place to the altar outside because outside is sin, man, sin, death, earth, bronze, humanity, oxen, and a created fallen world. Inside is God, perfection, life, heaven, angels, and gold, and the ultimate reality of the universe. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, he would see something that was a greater reality than anything he knew in time, space, and matter. Outside, bronze. Inside, gold. Outside, oxen. Inside, angels. The cherubim, seraphim, the angels. Everything inside that Holy of Holies spoke of heaven. The next dimension, the eternal dimension, the one that's over this one. Everything outside is time, space, and matter. We know the earth and the universe is going to fade away, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we know that heaven exists eternally outside of time. It has nothing to do with time. Outside is a temporal reality. Inside is the eternal reality. And the high priest would see it once a year. That is heaven. That represents heaven. Bronze, the altar, gold. Oxen, angels. Fallen man, holy God. Sinful man, holy God. In that holy place with the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant. So now the Ark of the Covenant was carried on the poles. It's like a treasure chest. Had the angels on top of it, the mercy seat, and inside was the Ten Commandments. God's law, perfect. God's law is perfect. If we could be perfect, it would be a perfect law to uphold. But we can't uphold it because we're sinful. It's our tutor to bring us to Christ. It teaches us you can't save yourself by being good. You have to be saved by being under the blood with Jesus. And so that righteousness of God revealed through the law would consume fallen humanity. Thus, it's sealed, and the mercy seat is over it, and the angels. It's hard to find a greater contrast than the bronze altar outside the temple and the holies of holies inside the temple. They couldn't be more opposite. One represents sinful man and his, uh, the inability of sinful man to save himself, the inability of of oxen and sheep to save them, and that blood. And the other inside represents God's holiness. I am that I am, totally self-sustained in his universe, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent, all-present. Maybe you're like me. When I was a kid growing up in Virginia, you know, I went to all those Catholic churches younger, and then I went to base chapels to Catholic services, and I'd look at the stained grass images of Jesus and the Via Della Rosa and stuff like that, the whole journey to the cross. I'd walk to the woods of Virginia by myself there at Quantico on the base looking for turtles, 
go down the Potomac River, see the guys fishing and stuff. Man, it was a different time. It was a good time. Pick holly. Brett, holly leaves to build a wreath for my mom, wild blackberries. My mom would make pies from it. What a great memory. But I'll tell you what I did when I used to walk through the woods of Virginia between first and third grade, and even in fourth and fifth after we moved to Charlottesville. I used to think about God. I used to think about God. And I'd think about God, and this is what I, you know, and I share this sometimes, but not that often. I think, well, if God made me, who made God? Right? Because people call pastor's perspective and every man an answer for that. You know, like, hey, who made God? You know, like, that's one of those basic questions. Like, and I think about, like, I would just kind of like, wow, like, God made me, but how could God exist and always exist? But I know he exists because, you know, like, I, I don't get away with anything. And I know, like, like how, how does that work? And I just, it wasn't until years later that I realized that as are the heavens are above the earth, so is God in his ways above and beyond us. How can a finite mind understand an infinite mind? So the thing formed, say the thing that formed it, what are you doing and how did you do it? I mean, the whole book, the book of Job is pretty much four smart guys trying to figure out how it all works out with God. And then God says, you're all wrong, and the latest guy's wrong, and I am the Lord, and that's that. Ask Job to pray for you and intercede for you, and we'll restore him, and then you guys can go home and live your lives. They're not the first group of people to sit around and speculate God's nature, God's character, and all that kind of stuff. But one thing we know about God's nature and his character is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. In this holy place, there's just perfection. There's no evil thoughts, jaded thoughts, skewed thoughts, rude jokes, vulgar things. It's just purity. It's a good thing the priests are in white robes this day. Yes and amen. It's a good thing they're singing praises to the Lord, too. Yes and amen. Good thing they're singing about how the God is good, because God is good. David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good. God never does evil. Even just a few weeks ago, someone asked me, why does God allow evil? They actually said, is God evil? I said, he's not. But he has given his self-determination, and people are evil. As Haley even prayed, life is hard sometimes. And it is, and it's hard, because people are evil. Evil people do evil things to good people sometimes, and that's just the way it works. But God's bigger than that. That's where faith comes in. Faith at the altar that gets you inside the holy place, that you learn that things work together for good, those who love God and are called according to his purpose. No one's going to ever accuse God. On the day of the Lord, when people stand before the Lord... And we will. No one's going to accuse God of being evil. They're going to confess to Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what they're going to do. We can bow the knee in time or we can bow the knee in eternity, but the whole universe is about Jesus. And the Bible makes that very clear. God is light. See, we have faith at the bronze altar with the blood, but ultimately that faith gets us into the holy place through faith in Jesus Christ And there, what we realize when we think about the Lord, or even me as a seven-year-old there in Quantico, thinking about the Lord, going to catechism and classes and thinking about God and all this stuff, we go back to what he said to Moses. I am who I am. He's the all-sufficient one. God is all-sufficient on his own. And on this side of time, we're in this side of time, space, and matter. By faith, we have to receive the things of eternity and believe them that God is... You know, eyes not seen nor ear heard those things that God has prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. By faith we have to store up our treasures in heaven. By faith we have to set our mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. That's what we do by faith. Childlike faith, too, because unless we have faith like a child, we can by no means enter the kingdom of God. So body of Christ, WG, we're reminded tonight, don't park your car at the bronze altar. 
Have the faith. Believe in the facts. The fact is, God is I am that I am. Moses is like, I need a name. I am that I am. And when Jesus said, before Abraham, I am, they picked up stones to stone him because they knew he claimed to be God. And for this cause, they crucified him because he claimed to be God. I am that I am. We serve the Lord. There's so much we do know about the Lord, and there's so much we don't. And that makes heaven exciting. Because we're told, now we know in part, but then we'll know fully. When this corruptible puts on incorruptible. When this mortal puts on immortal, or immortality. See, now we know in part, but then we'll know fully. Isn't that exciting? To get to heaven and know fully where there's no more tears and sorrows. At the bronze altar, plenty of tears and plenty of sorrow because there's sin and death and the human experience. In the Holy of Holies, in the presence of the Lord, no more tears, no more sorrow, just praise and glory and four living creatures and 24 elders casting down their crowns saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world. That's the Holy of Holies. That's the destiny of every believer saved by faith under the blood of Jesus Christ, born again of his spirit. So we have outside and inside, but then we have the cloud. So we have our faith outside with the blood being shed. We have the fact of who God is in the holy place, that he's holy, and we come believing who he is and what he says about himself and trusting in his nature and his character and who he is. And then we have the cloud. Oh, this glorious cloud. Verses 11 through 14. So, 100 plus singers in their white robes, singing with one as one, one sound to be heard praising, praising the Lord, thanking the Lord. Oh, man, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And they said he is good. So they're confessing again his person because everything about God is good. His mercy is an attribute. In other words, mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve judgment for sin. He put the judgment on his son. That's mercy. Grace is receiving the gift, the free gift of eternal life through his son. And as they're proclaiming these truths about his person, his character, and his attributes, the cloud comes. Here comes the cloud. Worship generation, get ready for the day of the Lord. (laughs) Listen to me, body of Christ. You get ready for the cloud because the cloud's coming for you and me too. The cloud's coming. Listen to me. The cloud is coming. The cloud will come for you. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming for you personally or me personally when he comes for us. And I've seen people greet Jesus as they step into eternity. Or he's coming to planet Earth at his second return. So we're going to see him personally in a private cloud appearance, or we're going to see him when the whole universe sees his cloud. But know this about this cloud. God spoke to Israel from the cloud in the Old Testament. When he gave him the law, he spoke to him at Mount Sinai in the cloud. The cloud was over the the Holy of Holies as they traveled in the wilderness for 40 years. Here's the cloud here. When Gabriel declared to Mary that she would conceive as a virgin without having intimacy with a man, she said, how can this be? And he said, the cloud will come upon you. Even in the Immaculate Conception, the cloud is given there. The eternal presence of the Lord. Jesus, there on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was there and Elijah and Moses appeared representing the law and the prophets of the Old Testament, he's there with Peter, John, and James. And Peter's like going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Hey, what do we do? Should we build tabernacles or something? And then the father spoke and said, this is my son, hear him. And the cloud was there. They were in the cloud. And when the cloud pulled back, all they saw was Jesus. But when the cloud was there, these three men... 
James was beheaded in the book of Acts. Peter was crucified upside down after the book of Acts. John was exiled to Patmos and wrote the book of Revelation. These three men, they said in 2 Peter, we've not followed cunningly, cunningly devised fables of men, but we are eyewitnesses of his glory. They were talking about when they saw Jesus in the cloud at Mount Sinai. His, his glory was like an earthen vessel. He's, like, he's in a human body, and then this event, the, the transfiguration, his glory was revealed like, Wow, like Revelation describes, you know, the glory, like him coming, like, we can't even imagine. But Peter, John, and James in time, space, and matter saw it because eternity came and the glory that he had from all that time. Even when Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, he talked about the glory he had before he came. In John chapter 1, when John was inviting us to give our lives to Christ, he said, we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. We beheld his glory. His glory was revealed. The cloud cloud came, and Jesus' glory was revealed to the three pillars of the early church, those three apostles. Then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he ascended in the cloud. Eternity came in the cloud, and he ascended. And we're told when he comes back, he's coming in the clouds. This cloud is (laughs) not gray May or June gloom. (laughs) Southern California. This cloud is the glory of the Lord. It's an eternal cloud that brings eternity into time, space, and matter. And Jesus will come back in the cloud to establish his reign in his second coming. In this appearance of the cloud, something beautiful happens. In this appearance of the cloud, the presence of the Lord and the glory of the Lord, just like the Mount of Transfiguration, is there with these men. The praise is going on outside. All this is happening. You know, 100 trumpets, like, this is something special. You know, like, it's a poor comparison, but like the Rose Parade, when you see those big Midwest bands like Wisconsin coming down on, you know, the Rose Parade with all the trumpets and brass, and it's beautiful. I, growing up in the Marine Corps, we used to go hear the Marine Band all the time. Anytime the Marine Band was doing a big thing, Quantico, we'd go, we'd go hear it. Even when Timmy and Luke and I and my dad went back to D.C. about eight years ago, we went to, what is it, Ninth uh, and I, whatever, where you see the whole Marine Corps marching band. And all, it's so, when you hear trumpets and it's unified, it's so beautiful, it's powerful. How much more powerful this? They're, they're playing trumpets, cymbals, string instruments, and they're proclaiming God's praises like we've never experienced, I'm pretty certain. And then the glory came. As they're confessing his character and his attributes, the glory came, and they were overwhelmed. But he shared his presence with them. He shared his holy presence with sinful men in that cloud on this day. On this day, they all got to know the presence of the Lord. On this day, he, he, he brought it to those priests. He, he led them. Can you imagine the cloud and the guys come out like, everyone's like, oh, they came there to watch the ark show up and now they see the cloud and everyone's proclaiming praises and this happened this happened in time space and matter and it's a prelude for what's going to happen for us in revelation chapter five because heaven is praising the lord and worshiping the lord and it's it's our future and if the bronze altar outside is faith and if the inside gold is fact then really the cloud is fullness because this is where sinful men and holy God come together in a fellowship of fullness because at this 
it's a glimpse of what eternity is like. Because the presence overwhelmed them as they were praising him, and he met him there. And so it reminds us that Jesus really is a lot like the cloud. Because the Lord brought his glory to them in that cloud. The Lord was there. The gold, the perfection, the holy of holies, the cherubim, the bronze altar, the oxen, the sin, the blood, they merged together at the cloud. Just like we're told in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's but one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He's like the cloud. He reconciles this bronze altar, this this killing place. He reconciles it with the holy place. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. If we believe that, and we should, we will never be swayed with false religions and false philosophies. We'll never pursue the, the wit and wisdom of men that would lead us astray or women. We will know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. It might get us in trouble, could get you burned at the stake, thrown off a cliff or fed to the lions, but know this, we're just passing through anyways. In that cloud is where sinful men and holy God met in the midst of the praise. When those apostles stood before this Sanhedrin council in Acts chapter 4, they said, there's no other name than the name of Jesus Christ given among men by which we must be saved. And that is who we are. We're the church. We're, we're gathered here every week. We read two, three chapters on a Tuesday to see Jesus in those chapters, to see the promises, to see the truth. We're here on a Saturday singing praise songs to the Lord to, to, to learn biblical truths centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what they mean for our life as we try and be faithful in time to be ready for eternity. See, in this story, there's outside, inside, and the cloud, and it all revolves around the house of God. And we are the house of God as we're gathered here as the church. And this glory that they saw is our future glory. And I mentioned earlier, and I close now, just sharing this. But we're told that all of life's sufferings and hardships are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that is to come. In fact, we're told they're called light afflictions. Now, I think we've all lived long enough, most of us, to know that Suffering, sin, death, tribulation, lies, slander, those things are not light afflictions. But compared with the glory we're going to have in eternity with the Lord, they're light afflictions and they're not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that we're going to have. See, we're going to glory. When we leave this dimension, when this mortal puts on immortality, this corruptible puts on incorruptibility, we are going to glory. Those loved ones that we love who've already moved on to eternity, they are in glory. They have glorified bodies. There is no more suffering. There's no more incompleteness. They are glorified. They're in glory. And it's the fullness of all things that God intended when he made time, space, and matter in the beginning outside of time, space, and matter as Lord of the universe and Lord of all eternity. He's made us for glory. To know his glory, to be in glory with him in his glory. Romans tells us in Romans 8 there, before it says that all things work together for good, those who love God, that as we share in his suffering, we will share in his glory. Now, I think most of us are not motivated by some concept that we can have glory in heaven. 
I, you don't think like that. I don't really think like that. We want to be faithful in time, and we'll let eternity play out. But I just want to remind you tonight that in this cloud was the glory of the Lord. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And we want to come here at every service and touch that glory by faith in the singing and the praises and the fellowship and the teaching. And it reminds us twice a week or however often we come that we are going toward glory. So I remind you tonight, body of Christ, worship generation. Christ didn't come so we'd stay outside. He shed his blood so we'd go inside. And we would know the glory. We'd be in the glory and we'd anticipate the glory. Because I has not seen or ear heard those things that God has prepared for them, for those who love him and his appearing. And I think that's us. Because we love him and we're looking for his appearing. Yes and amen. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.